0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever. Or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Now
2: back to 95.7 The Game. Hour number three, we're halfway
3: through. John Dickinson, Jason Dumas, 888 957 9570. Good conversation the first couple of hours here. A lot of 49er conversation. Uh, just talking about the preseason as a whole as it has wrapped up for the 49ers. Losing to the Texans the other night, getting shut out by the Texans the other night. Trey Lance, three series, 7 of 11. Uh, did start out one of four. Wound up hitting, what, five consecutive passes before an incompletion, and then another shorty completion ended his preseason. Uh, how you feeling about the quarterback position, better or worse than a month ago when training camp began in Santa Clara? Uh, also, we'll get into a little bit of Jimmy Garoppolo, Jason, uh, and we'll run through the defense. Are you feeling better or worse about the defense? That's uh, coming up in this segment. And then we'll, we'll switch some gears and talk some Warriors coming up at 11.30 as well. Uh, what's going on with Jonathan Kaminga? Is there anything to be concerned about? So that, that's coming up here on ninety five seven. The Game. But uh, we started the show at 9 with me coming out and basically saying, hey, I disagreed with you last week when, <laughs> when you said there's a lot of pressure on Trey Lance, especially at the beginning of this season. Taking in everything we've seen to this point, I think there is more pressure than I anticipated on Trey coming out of the gate. And a big part of that is the fact that the 49ers most, their most winnable games in the first four, you could maybe even say the first six or the first two games of the year. And I openly admit to you, I thought Trey Lance would have looked farther along than he has to this point in the camp practices I've been at and in the preseason games.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just, there's going to be a natural pressure because of the context and how Trey Lance got to this point. A team traded two first-round picks and swapped another to get you uh, ahead of a couple other quarterbacks in that class, and it essentially prompted the end of the Jimmy G era in San Francisco. It lasted one more year where you waited in the wing on the bench, but now it's, now it's your turn. So in my opinion, that's the bar is Jimmy, Jimmy G – at the very lowest, but it probably has to be a little better than Jimmy G because if if the 49ers get Jimmy G level or worse than that production, people are going to wonder why did they make that move when they could have improved other areas of the team and got that same type of production. So that is the bar to me. And I don't think that is an incredibly high bar for Trey Lance this year, especially since we were told Jimmy G isn't all that good. So you know, realistically, that's, that's actually a low bar if we're going by what the messaging was. And there's going to be pressure on that because as of now, it's shown that me, I'm not sure he's a better quarterback than Jimmy G today on August 27th. I'm, I'm not sure.
3: Well, and that's the, the question. And there's a wide range of responses here in the Comcast Business text line. Jason, 415, trade just doesn't look that good. Jimmy G is better than him right now, and I'm not sure Trey is ever going to to get better. The five one zero, that's on the coaches, not the player. Lance will be ready when he's ready. It's up to the coaches to get him ready. And then the other part of this is the fact that you know Jimmy, Jimmy is the Forty Nine ers won despite of Jimmy. This is another one. The Forty Nine ers won despite of Jimmy, they will win. With Trey, I think the history with Kyle Shanahan, and we mentioned this in the last segment, would indicate that it's not necessarily as simple as that. But there are a wide – those are three different perspectives, Jason, that are all, they're all tied to this thing and I think show the potential divide among the 49er fan base.
4: Right, and we just got a new one. The 510 says, with Mac Jones, Niners, which still have draft picks, would be favored to win it all this year. So just a a wide range. And remember, Mac Jones, he was tied to the 49ers. I think that was kind of a a bluff, a draft bluff. Uh, Someone doing Kyle a solid with their reporting (laughs) to kind of keep, you know, it was a smokescreen, essentially. We see that every year during the draft. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a valid point. Trey is going to be linked to guys like Mac Jones and Justin Fields, for the rest of his career because those were the fellow quarterbacks in his draft class. And uh, you're always going to compare, you know, we heard Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers for the longest, you know, until essentially until Alex Smith retired. So that just comes with the territory of where you were picked and who you were picked in front of. And I think they're all valid questions. And, you know, Mac Jones didn't look like a world beater yesterday. He actually looked terrible against, the Raiders, but Mac Jones has played in a playoff game in his, in his young career. He, he's looked like a serviceable quarterback. Um, his, he's probably capped. I don't think he's going to get all that much better. He'll get better with some experience, of course, because he's still a young quarterback. But I think we essentially know the type of quarterback Mac Jones will be.
3: I'm underwhelmed with Mac Jones to this point and I maybe my bar is a little high but watching him against the Raiders last night uh and that guy to me he he it's a very conservative game plan that you're going to need for him and and he has a lot of those he has a lot of the Jimmy throws to be honest he has a lot of the oh, Jimmy no o-no like why don't, yeah why don't you see that guy that that's there and I think he had a lot of those last year I know they made the playoffs and they and they won but he he in some ways when I watch him seems even less dynamic than Garoppolo, believe it or not. And look, he's young and, and he'll get better, but I I don't know. What, what what's your take on that?
4: Yeah, I you know, I think he's I think he'll be a middle tier quarterback for the most of his career. I think he makes mm-hmm. he he's not a world beater and you know, for the most part though, he's not going to lose you games. Like as you said, the Patriots made the playoffs last year. He helped right that ship. Um, you know what you're getting. I think he was a safe pick. Uh, and sometimes that's all a team needs. Now, I don't think he's going to be one of those quarterbacks who drags a roster into the postseason like you've seen Russell Wilson do, like you've seen Aaron Rodgers do. He's not that guy. But he's a solid quarterback who won't lose you games. I think he'll have a nice 10- to 12-year career uh, and, you know, be, be a solid quarterback. So I think it's safe. I think Trey Lance has way more potential than than Mac Jones, but I think uh I think Mac Jones is floor has could be higher than Trey's floor. Like if Trey Trey has a higher mm. ceiling but a lower floor than Mac Jones, if that makes sense.
3: That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think it it's a lot of it's related I think to to the simple play versus the versus the turnover versus the how many explosive plays do you make? Another one on the Comcast business text line from the five one zero. I don't know uh, what is better than Jimmy, but with regard to turnovers, Trey needs to be better than Jimmy in that aspect. When Jimmy played well, it was digging himself out of a hole he created. That that was an interesting Jimmy dynamic. He would make a uh, one of the Jimmy O oh no throws, and then you'd think the game is is completely lost. And then he would come back and he'd lead a touchdown drive to, to put him right back ahead or to get him right back in the game that they would eventually come back and win. I, I think that that goes to the unique characteristic that Jimmy had that other middling or average quarterbacks typically don't have. And I think that's why he's been able to win at the level that he has despite the overall numbers and, and some of the ups and downs. But But to me it's even as simple as – The types of turnovers. Like Jimmy did have, and we had a a caller earlier who mentioned, Jimmy did have, he would throw a pick, but he would throw the pick a lot of the times at midfield in the second quarter where even if a team went down and scored a touchdown, there was so much game left that you didn't feel like it completely wrecked the game. And if if Trey Lance and we don't know this about him because we haven't seen him play meaningful games consistently, what if his turnovers, at least this year, are true game wreckers and he doesn't have that ability to bounce back and lead a team down the field, and things get off schedule or awry, that is one area where let's say the numbers could be similar, but the outcome could be different
4: yeah absolutely um though you can't have the game wrecking turnovers you you just can't and we see we see quarterbacks do that year in year out where it's they just can't lose you the game like just just don't mess up that that is a Fair bar. Like, all right, that second quarter interception, you can overcome that. That fourth quarter interception where you're in the red zone, those are backbreakers. Those are things you cannot overcome. And Trey Lance can't hurt the team in that way. I can I can live with some of the other rookie mistakes or inexperienced mistakes. I keep saying rookie mistakes. He's not a rookie, but you guys know what I mean. You can live with some of them. You can't live with the back breaking interceptions. And there's, he has, I mean, he's been, intera- he's been inaccurate in his young career, but he hasn't shown me any signs that he is going to throw those type of picks. Remember in college, I know the NFL is not college, especially North Dakota State University level college, but he, he had a whole season where I think he was 22 touchdowns, zero interceptions. So I don't get turnover vibes with him, but it's an absolutely fair point. Those are things that you just can't have.
3: And I think a lot of 49er fans are counting on the fact that Kyle Shanahan is going to scheme up enough open plays to where he's going to be, you know, he might be inaccurate, but the inaccuracies shouldn't lead to interceptions. They may lead to incompletions. But I think, and and this happened a lot with Jimmy Garoppolo. There were a lot of plays where, hey, just the play design, the personnel grouping, Shanahan scheming it up against a specific defense. You're throwing it to a dude that's wide open, and he can make a play and yards after the catch, even if it is down the field. You know, those are the kinds of plays that that can't be misses. And Jimmy didn't hit all of those. I know the the one that stands out is the the use check. Uh, game against the Titans on that on that Thursday night right right before Christmas and there were some other frustrating ones that that Jimmy would miss too. But Trey Lance's ability to hit the plays that are basically tailor made put on a tee for him, you know, to to, to whack uh, from Kyle Shanahan are the ones that he's going to have to make without the 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 killer mistake.
4: And JD, what do you think about this dynamic? And we haven't talked about it too much because it's, it's really unknown now and it would be all speculation but let's speculate so do you think Jimmy G will play this season and if he does do you think that will impact how we interpret this trade and the decision that the 49ers made to move on from him
3: wait say that again run
4: that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so do you one do you think Jimmy G will play this season whether okay, it, for, yes. for another team, and if he does, do you think his play will dictate how we viewed this decision by the 49ers to move on from him and go with Trey Lance? So, for instance, what if Jimmy yeah. G ultimately starts for the Seattle Seahawks in what week six, and he is somewhat successful? How does that look to the 49ers fan base? How do they perceive that?
3: it It looks bad if trey if Trey Lance struggles and Jimmy Garoppolo goes somewhere else and and performs and or wins, let's say he keeps winning uh, uh, at a five hundred or or slightly better level with a with a team that's perceived to be a lesser team, and I think just about all the places that Jimmy he, Garoppolo yeah. could go would be perceived as lesser teams. that wouldn't be the best look because I think part of the part of what a lot of people think about Jimmy Garoppolo was that Kyle shanahan made the best of Jimmy Garoppolo based right. on scheme and all those things we were just talking about. So if he's able to actually go do it somewhere else, that tells you that maybe Jimmy Garoppolo had a little bit more of a hand in his own success than maybe he got credit for. But, but yeah, those two are going to be like, – If if Trey is at a certain level, I don't think it matters necessarily. But if Trey is average or mediocre up and down, this team's – around 500, and Jimmy Garoppolo is able to do the same thing with a lesser team, that will definitely not be the best look.
4: Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that could happen. Like, I'm not, you know, I know this is all speculatory at this point, but I do think, obviously, Jimmy will sign somewhere when he is released, and he will eventually start. Because wherever he signs, he will probably be told, we expect you to come in, learn the system. We eventually want you to get on the field. That's probably a situation he's looking for. Uh, there's not many of those situations out, but as you said, all the situations that look realistic that could possibly come to fruition seem to be teams that on paper are perceived to be less talented than the 49ers. So it could happen. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will be keeping an eye on Jimmy Garoppolo and what he does this season. And it's just an interesting storyline to see play out. But what what settles all of that is just the 49ers winning. Even if Trey Lance doesn't even look all that great, winning solves everything. And I think fans can be like, you know what? Trey has been up and down, but at least we're 5-2 and two through, through seven weeks. You know what I mean?
3: That's the most important aspect to all of this is the 49ers ability to to win and and again I I said it earlier it's to keep the season on schedule it's how you win because I don't see this team being one and three and then figuring it out at that point and going nine and four down the stretch or something like that like I I think this team has to be two and oh I think they have to be four and two I I think they're gonna have to be six and four I think they're gonna have to be at a minimum eight and six you know that that kind of thing. Like it, it's going to have to be, and and ultimately wind up ten and seven w- when it's all said and done. Because that would, in all likelihood, maybe you could be nine and eight. I know nine and eight was able to get you in in the NFC last year. Wouldn't have got the Niners in, but but Philly it did get in. Uh, just different co- their combination of nine worked better than than the Niners would have. But uh, so I do think if ten guarantees you that spot. And so, to me, if you win and everything's on schedule, that that's when you can play the "yeah but" game with Trey Lance. If you are winning, you cannot play the "yeah but" game with Trey Lance. If you are not winning, you cannot say, "Well, this didn't happen," or "This guy dropped this," or "He's young," or "Shanahan didn't call the right plays." Like you can play that game about how it looks if you are winning and you are a playoff team. The moment that you are not, everything gets questioned. Everything gets questioned at a much higher degree, and I think that's where. There could be a potential snowball effect where everybody's wondering why things aren't the way they, they're supposed to be. What can change? Whose fault is it? Is he just not good enough for yet this year? And you're trying to flip a season around. I'll, I'll, I'll relay it this way because there was a text from the 415 Comcast business text line. John Dickinson will go Grant Cohn, scorched earth <laughs> mode, and call for Shanny Lynch, and Trey to be sent packing if he underwhelms and the 49ers miss the playoffs. I absolutely will not do that, Jason. But if if Trey struggles and they go seven and ten, Shanahan is approaching the hot seat for two thousand and twenty three. It doesn't mean he'd be gone, but how he is viewed will be looked at completely differently going into next year.
4: I, I'll take it a step further. I, I think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch will be in the hot seat for the year 2024, I guess, or 2023, next season, if we go mm. if we go through this whole year and it feels or seems apparent that the trade was not a good one because they put all their chips in the basket with the, this trade. They traded two first-round picks. They swapped another first-round pick to get this guy. There's other guys in this draft class at the same position, who have a chance to be pretty good. Justin Fields, although I don't think Justin Fields, just based on his situation, I don't think he's going to turn out being all that great. But you see Mac Jones, he's already he already has a playoff start under his belt. Uh, if this trade doesn't work out, it falls right on John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and I do think they'll be on the hot seat. if They have a bad season, and Trey Lance doesn't look all that great this year. Going into next year, is going to be like perform, or or else. That's that's the way I view it.
3: If if they don't, if Trey Lance winds up not being a franchise quarterback over the course of the next couple of years, Shanahan's done. Like Kyle Shanahan's future is completely tied to Trey Lance. If if he's a franchise quarterback that that looks like a guy you can win a Super Bowl with, I would say by the end of next year then, then all right, he's good and everything's ready to roll. If if there's a question to that by the end of next year, I, I think you're right. The murmurs are already starting to happen, but then 2024, it would be the official put-up-or-shut-up time because then you're you're talking about getting to the end of that rookie deal where you've got to start making decisions on fifth-year options and, and extensions and where's the rest of the roster at. Look, it's not doom and gloom necessarily, but we're laying out the scenarios where – and you know this text comes in from the 650 they're not going less than 10 and 7 jd okay well then we're not going to have a problem for like 2022 is going to be fine if they go 10 and 7 even if Trey Lance numbers wise is similar to Jimmy Garoppolo or maybe even slightly worse than Jimmy Garoppolo they go 10 and 7 then we're not going to have a problem i think jason you judge it a little bit differently than i do on that front but but i'll just say it right now they go 10 and 7 i got really no issue with Trey Lance i'll chalk it up to Learning, developing, has a ways to go, but still able to win at the level that this team should be able to win at.
4: Yeah, 100%. And uh, we have another one, a 6'50, a 10th, a 31st, and a 25th plus is more than fair for a number three overall. I'm not saying they gave up too much, but just to, like I'm not saying that it wasn't a fair trade or if it was even a bad trade, but you got to stand on it. You you made the decision to do that, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan. You got to stand on it. If, if that looks like a bad decision a couple years later after the fact, you have to be accountable. And if the 49ers have a bad season and that number three pick who you traded other assets for doesn't look to be the part of a number three pick, then you have to be held accountable. And I think – Jed York will hold them accountable. And I said that when they made the trade, I said the day they made the trade, I was on, I was on the airwaves a couple of days later. I was like, we won't know if this is a good or a bad trade for a couple of years, but Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they put their chips in this trade. This is what they will be viewed on their legacy. If it comes out that it was a bad trade, it could cost people their jobs. It could, this is the NFL. You know, if, if, if they're up and down this year, they missed the playoffs, and then you go into next season, and he he lo- doesn't look like a franchise quarterback, and you're around five hundred. Jed York's going to be like, why why did we make this move? You told me this was that guy. They're going to have to answer to that. You know, they have bosses just like we all have bosses. You know, like if they it, what if they just keep Jimmy and they draft that ten Micah Parsons, you know, who looks like he's going to be one of the best players. On the defensive side of the ball in the NFL for the next decade. And you have Bosa and Micah Parsons and Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, there's other moves they could have made. Like, we can't act like they were handcuffed and they had to do this. They did not have to do this. And if it c- turns out that it wasn't a good trade, they will have to answer to someone because, like I said, we all have bosses.
3: Eight 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 nine five seven nine five seven zero. I want to quickly before we pause here. Let's just run through the defense. We did the offense at the end of the last segment. Are you feeling better or worse, uh, position group wise? Uh, defensive line. I'll just say it. We could be brief on that one. I'm feeling. I'm feeling better about the defensive line. I I thought the defensive line was going to be great, and I actually feel better about it because they have even more depth than I thought they had. And Bosa looks like an absolute monster. Uh, I'm feeling good about the linebacking core as well. They got five really good linebackers, like all five dudes that play. All good. Really – all good. Uh, I think the the front seven kind of speaks for itself. And then uh, the secondary – kind of went both ways I was feeling really good about it but the injuries you know Mosley gets banged up Ward ends up missing a good chunk of training camp Charverius Ward comes over from Kansas City and now Jimmy Ward's going to be out the first four I started out I think feeling better than I did and now I feel worse than I did after I felt better if that makes sense so your your thoughts on all of that here before we break yeah
4: you know I, I'm with you on pretty much all of them and I think I said this last week too I think uh, at the end of the season, people around the league are going to look at the Charvarius Ward edition as one of the best offseason pickups of, uh, of the year. And I don't think that's being talked about enough. He's a dude. That dude is a stud. Um, I'm hoping he'll be healthy for week one. Uh, I think he will. But I think you're going to see him snatching a lot of passes this year. And, uh, you know, this – this defense has a chance to be historically great. The year that they made the Super Bowl, uh, what was that, 2018, 2019? I get yeah, my, 19. 19, get my years messed up. That was a historically great defense. I think they're going to be on that level this year. Drake Johnson looks like one of the steals of the draft. Mm-hmm. He's a stud. You know, Bosa looks legitimately like one of the best players in the world, regardless of what position he plays. Uh, we know what Fred Warner brings Jimmy Ward when he gets back he's one of those dudes too I think this defense has a chance to be historically great now I know they haven't done a thing yet it's early but that is what I see out of this group and you know in the NFL even if your offense is below average if you have a great defense you have a chance to win each and every game you're playing
3: all right, he's Jason Dumas. I'm John Dickinson, eight 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 nine five seven nine five seven zero. Uh did you hear what Stephen A. Smith said about Jonathan Kaminga? It gave me reason to wonder if the Warriors are concerned Ain't about the first Jonathan time I heard Kuminga. that. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that coming up. I think it's an interesting conversation right here at 95.7 The Game. Now back to 95.7 The Game. All right, 90 minutes to go. John Dickinson, Jason Dumas, 888-957-9570. We can switch gears, talk some Warriors here. Uh, we'll, we'll set this up. Uh, Stephen A. Smith on, on first take... Uh, they were having a conversation about, about Kevin Durant uh, earlier in the week. I believe it was on Tuesday. Uh, funny, Monday the Grizzlies are in play for Kevin Durant. Tuesday, Durant's staying in Brooklyn, and it was nothing to see here, and they figured it out. Trade trade demand rescinded. Uh, quick, just a quick thought on that, because I, I thought the Grizzlies' component to this was, was pretty compelling. Uh, what would they give up? Uh, Would they be good enough to really threaten the Warriors with Kevin Durant? That's obviously all done now. But for for 24 hours, Jason, that kind of had my mind working overtime.
4: Yeah, you know, it would have been great for the Grizzlies if they could make that happen. But as soon as I saw reports saying that they were unwilling or unsure, they wanted to give up Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain, I knew they weren't serious because, come on, man, you, it's, it's Kevin Durant. You got to give up something to get him. You know, you can't penny pinch when you're trying to acquire one of the best players in the world. So as soon as I started hearing that, I was like, OK, next Grizzlies. They ain't serious about getting Kevin Durant if they're – you should never – if you want Kevin Durant, Desmond Bain got to go. you packing his stuff. What do you mean you're unsure? So soon as I, soon as I read that, I, I I didn't take the Grizzlies as serious players. Uh, But it would have been captivating if, if the Grizzlies could have, could have acquired him because uh, they immediately become uh, one of the title favorites if you add him with Kevin Durant. If you had, if you had Kevin Durant with John Morant.
3: Yeah, those two, and then you figure out the rest of it. And I think there are enough other talented pieces on that Grizzlies roster where it still would have been compelling. And I, I mean, and 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 have the potential to to push the Warriors. The question I would wonder would be: Is Durant at a point where maybe he's starting to decline just a little bit, and maybe Morant isn't quite to the point where he's going to take a team to a chip almost? On his own, and then you don't have enough else of what made you special if you were the the Grizzlies. But it's it's fascinating, and, and look, we don't need to spend more than maybe the next minute or two on it because it's not going to happen now. Trade request rescinded, but you know th- there are a lot of people out there that believe the Warriors would have lost to the Grizzlies if Morant hadn't gotten hurt in that second round series. I'm not one of them. But then you start to say, well, if you have somebody as dynamic as as Kevin Durant offensively, that would have been, in essence, exactly what the Grizzlies needed in that series, somebody else that can that can get an easy bucket. So it, it is interesting to think about from that context.
4: Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, this whole Kevin Durant situation, the way it played out was simply because there weren't any other options. KD had no other options. Uh no teams were meeting the price tag that the Brooklyn Nets put out there when Kevin Durant made that trade demand. So it's kind of just like, you know, kind of go, gotta go into training camp with your tails between your legs. You know that there, there was nothing else out there for him. You had you had to do this. So I'm interested to see how the locker room dynamic plays out because it's apparent he doesn't he he doesn't want to be there. They might be on the same page now. But the only reason he's back is because there was nothing else out there for him. He couldn't force his way out. He had no other options. So how does that play out? And you never know what you're getting with Kyrie Irving. One day happy, the next day he's not happy. You know, next day maybe he don't want to play because he doesn't like the way someone spoke to him. You know, maybe one day he wakes up and something else, basketball doesn't fulfill him anymore. You never know. With yeah. Kyrie, it's it's always something with him. So I'm interested just just to see how everything plays out in Brooklyn. NBA is literally the best reality TV show on earth. I can't get enough of it. I I, I hope I hope we get mayhem, anarchy.
3: <laughs> well, I think we probably will on on that front. And and look to me, you know, I don't blame Kevin Durant for a lot of things in terms of what he wanted to do with his life and, and, and his career, whether it was leaving OKC or coming to the Warriors or leaving the Warriors or whatever. The, the only you – know, how he behaves on social media, like, like I could not care less. like a little how, weird. Like, like do, your, you know, do your thing. You do you. It's all good. The one area where I do come down his road, though, is wanting to get into a basketball marriage – With Kyrie Irving like that's the one where I'm like, dude, like, okay, you wanted to go do your own thing, but you got to vet that guy better to where you're two years into it, basically, and you want out of it when you thought this was a guy you could. Run it back and win multiple chips with. Like he needed to do a bet. The one area where I will come down his road, Jason, is you got to do better at vetting Kyrie Irving and knowing that his priorities may not exactly be aligned with your priorities.
4: Yeah, Kyrie Irving, one of the most talented basketball players in the world. Shoot, might be one of the most skilled and talented basketball players of all time, but he is your classic smartest guy in the room type. And usually, you know those types, JD. We have them everywhere. Usually those types are not the smartest in the room, even though they think they are. And it's always something with him. It's always something. The co- There's one common denominator with Kyrie Irving that there's always something. You, just can't, you can't trust that. You, you can't. He's difficult. He doesn't he – doesn't, he seems like he has an issue with authority. Uh, when he's told something he doesn't like, he kind of shuts down. It's everyone else's fault. He's so profound. He knows all is, you know, the act is tired. We all grew up with people like that. We all know people like that. I mean, if Kyrie Irving wasn't so damn talented, no one would want to put up with him. Just no one. He's just difficult. No one like no boss in the history of this society enjoys managing, working with someone who makes their life more difficult. And that is Kyrie Irving.
3: No, it's well said. Uh, so to bring it back to, to the Warriors uh, and, and move off of Kyrie a little bit. So it was, it was Stephen A and it was Jay Williams and it was first take. And they were talking about Kevin Durant. And we'll go ahead and run this for you. But then Jonathan Kaminga's name came up uh, from Stephen A. So, so here's the
1: cut and then we'll, we'll react to it. I'm worried about Kaminga. I'm hearing too many things about him off the court in terms of his head the level of discipline that he lacks. You understand Mm -hmm. some of the foolishness. I'm not getting in this personal business. I'm Mm. not
4: saying nothing like that. Mm. I'm talking attitude. I'm not talking actions. I'm saying that attitude, the level of focus, commitment, determination, just putting your head down, doing the work. I'm hearing that
3: he's shortchanging the Warriors in that regard, and he got to get his act together because I'm a Jonathan Kuminga fan. So there you go. Uh, I want to get your first reaction to that. But yeah, discipline, attitude, focus, commitment, uh, short-changing the Warriors on those fronts. Some other some other words mixed in there. My first reaction to this, and I'll keep it short because I want to get your your take on it. My first reaction to that was not surprising or inconsistent with the things that you could see if you're just paying attention, and the things you hear if you if you dig. A little bit beneath the surface on where the Warriors are at overall with with Kaminga.
4: Yeah, JD, I wasn't surprised at all by what Stephen A. Smith said. I'll go a step further. I've heard similar things over the past couple of years as I've covered the Golden State Warriors. Look, when Jonathan Kaminga was sent down on G League assignments early in his career, there were people within the Warriors organization did not like Jonathan Kaminga's approach to those assignments. He almost almost acted as if the G League was beneath him and Mm. he shouldn't have been there. And even when you hear the vets talk about some of the younger guys, there is just a different tone and different messaging when they talk about Moses Moody than when they talk about Jonathan Kaminga. When you hear them talk about Moses Moody, he does all the right things He's like a vet already, works his tail off. He's going to be here for a while. He's getting better. With Jonathan Kaminga, he has to harness it. We need to see this. You can just sense that not everybody on the team – now, this isn't a fatal flaw, obviously. You no, know, The sky's not falling. But you can tell that the vets, just by just the tone of their voice and what they say and how they say it, that there's a sense that Jonathan Kaminga leaves a lot of meat on the bones – as it comes to development and work ethic and things that he needs to do for this team to be great. I was at Summer League, I was in Vegas. There's times where it looks like Jonathan Kaminga is just going through the motions or playing a brand of basketball that's not helping the team, you know? And yeah, it's it's been out there. As I said, it's, it's not this fatal flaw. I don't think it's something where we should be concerned per se, especially on this roster with so many vets and so much talent, like that is way down on the list of things we should be concerned about. But that messaging from Stephen A. Smith the other day is not out of nowhere. JD, you cover this team extensively yourself. I'm sure you've heard that too. You see with your own eyes. I'm sure you've seen it as well. So, you know, a young guy like Jonathan Kaminga, who has all the talent in the world – He's not going to be perfect, but there has been a sense that he could be doing more and he can approach some of the areas of where the Warriors want him to approach and get better at. He could take that stuff more seriously.
3: He is 19 years old, but I think that, and there are a lot of layers to it. As far as the comparison to Moody, you know, Moody's a worker, and I think Kaminga comes off as 19, uber talented and almost looks at playing with these, these other future Hall of Famers and champions, he almost looks at it as if I should be running with these guys with regularity already. Like, I'm the next most talented dude on the roster after the, the, the championship core. And, and frankly, that may very well be true, but that talent has to manifest itself in ways that, that help the team. And and it has to, and I think that's where the work comes in on becoming a more attentive defender and becoming a more aggressive rebounder and using your athleticism in ways that that can be about doing the little things and not about you know putting the ball on the deck from the left wing and trying to drive to the basket and and dunk on somebody like it's, it, it's so yeah I've I have heard a lot of those same things that that it's. It, But you know, the G League beneath him, the summer league kinda beneath him. I mean, he he played in the summer league like a dude that really thought I shouldn't be playing in the summer league because and and a lot of guys once you get to a point where you're good enough year two or you know, especially by year three, like you you aren't even being asked to do it. Usually the best of the best aren't even asked to do it year two. Uh, you know, in, in, in if if your rookie year is is good enough. And, and so I think he looks around at maybe some of the other guys that were drafted in front of him and maybe even a couple of guys that were drafted after him. And he really is the only guy that isn't playing a lot. And I think he's like, I'm better than that dude. I'm better than that dude. I'm more talented than this dude. I should be getting all this run. And he's not getting it in part because of the situation he's in. But it's also the the question is, is he is he not listening to the dudes that are supposed to be Having the ability to to know what it takes to raise his game to a championship level. When I hear Draymond basically say he was dogging it in that first summer league game and and didn't bring it, like that's alarming to me. Not not a cat, not something that can't be overcome, but a concern nonetheless.
4: Yeah, no, a- absolutely. You know, Kaminga has all the talent in the world. In fact, he is probably, he's one of the most talented this past year. He's one of the most talented rookies in the league. But you can't go through the motions. You got to, that work ethic has to match your talent. We Everybody in the NBA is talented. You have to do more. And like I said, just, you could, you could see the difference of how they talk about Moses Moody and how they talk about Jonathan Kaminga. Kaminga's ceiling is higher than Moses Moody. I think most people can objectively say that. Like if Kaminga puts it all together, if it all comes together for him, he can be one of a dynamic player in this league. Moody seems to project more as a role player and that is nothing to turn your nose up on the NBA. You don't win championships without elite role players, guys who do their job, do one or two things well, and just consistently show up for you. That, That'll get you, nowadays, that'll damn near get you a max contract in the NBA. But Kaminga, you sense, wow, he puts it together. He could be a star. He can be a star wing in this league. But it seems like he leaves a lot of meat on the bone. The vets ain't going to come out and say it to us, the media, on the record. They ain't going to be like, he doesn't work hard. But you can read the between the lines when you hear them talk, J.D. I know you're in those pressers every day like me. Don't you get that sense?
3: I do. I get the sense in, in, in things that even Draymond had said on the record because he compared – this was in the middle of last year. He compared Moody and, and Kaminga, and you may say, well, that's not a, a fair comparison, but it was it was really thoughtful and, and an interesting response, as most are, with, with Draymond. But it was the it was the notion that that Kaminga, because of his talent and and the way that he came up and and playing for Ignite and and a dude that was uh, for a couple of years thought of as a top three to five draft pick, that he he does Moses Moody has to work at every turn because he doesn't have the physical tools and and raw ability that a guy like Kaminga does. He doesn't have that ceiling, so you have to make up for it by. Always being a, a try hard guy, always being a work hard guy to right. maximize what you have and get better. Exactly, Kaminga is a dude that that can kind of get by on being the most athletic guy on the floor, or being the most talented guy on the floor in a lot of instances, or being among the top five ten- most talented guys on the floor potentially even now. So, uh, but it's but it's the unwillingness because you're so talented to do the little things. And a lot of it is just—it's just the upbringing in the game right. that, that I think has led those two down down the different paths. The other thing that stands out, not in what was said, but you know, Kaminga is one of these guys that I think the fans do play a role in this because he is a guy that I think the fans want to see more of and clamor for, and I think he feels that, and I, I think he. He feels it, and 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 almost, in a sense, agrees with it. Like, how come I'm not on the floor? I should be playing more. We're blowing all these teams out. I could be on the court with the Hall of Famers, you know, punkin teams and embarrassing teams, and that would help my personal stock. And and I go back to, you know, Steve Kerr. He you know he's not in the rotation. He's not in the rotation. Had some injuries in camp last year. He's he's not. Why is he not in the rotation? Anytime he doesn't play, it's why doesn't he play? Then he works his way up to a point where he gets some run, and I'll never forget this. He started in playoff well, games. He, he, well, and I'm not even saying – I'm going back to – and didn't play well, and that mm-hmm. was probably where he was over. I'm going back to, like, January. He gets a start against the Pistons, and I thought he treated a start against the Pistons like it was beneath him. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. like, like, didn't bring it, didn't – and then all of a sudden, where Steve Curran said, hey, he's going to get some run, we're going to start him for a while, it lasted two games. Well, why did it last two games? My read on that is because he played and acted like a dude that was told he was going to be a starter and had already arrived and quit putting in the work that he had started to put in because that's what Steve Kerr was was demanding of him. It's it's the quintessential, hey, I guarded LeBron on national TV (laughs) and did pretty well and had a really good game against the Lakers that one night he did at Chase. That was a great night. Now I, don't, now I can kind of go through the motions against Detroit and Houston. And Steve Kerr's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works.
4: Right. You know, and look, there is an instance where Jordan Poole got sent down to the G League. And I know that he was pissed off. He was livid by everything I was told. Jordan Poole harnessed that the right way. He went down there and he was killing everything that moved in the G League during that stint. The rest is history. He comes back up. We know with Jordan Poole, he's become one of the most talented players in the NBA. Jonathan Kaminga, he gets G League stints. And the Warriors, people in that Warriors organization, feels like he doesn't take those stints seriously. Like you said, like they're beneath him. And you go, just go back and look at the numbers with him in the G League. He's not productive at all. He's just kind of going through the motions. You saw it. In and stints during summer camp summer league as well he just doesn't treat these stints seriously it's like they are beneath him and the vets notice that you know they're not going to say it on the record but as you said Draymond pretty much alluded to it on the record he leaves a lot of meat on the bones they want to see more out of Jonathan Kaminga when it comes to those stints they want him to be the worker that some of the other guys when When your best players are workers, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, when the most talented players on your team are the hardest workers on your team, and then you see another uber-talented player in Jonathan Kaminga, and he doesn't come off as a worker, that is going to be noticed. And members of that organization have told me that they were not happy with his stint in the G League. They thought that he didn't take it seriously. You see Moses Moody, what he does when he's in the G League. 30 points, 35 points. I'm not even putting the pressure on Jonathan Kaminga that when he plays in the G League, he has to stand out head and shoulders above the rest. But you can't look at that situation like it's beneath you. You just can't. You're not in the position to do that. Steve Kerr already keeps his young guys on a short lease. Look what Jordan Poole went through. There was even points where I was like, all right, Steve, I think you're micromanaging Jordan Poole a little too much at this point. Like you got to trust him more. You can see the talent is there. He keeps his rookies on a short lease. Jonathan Dominguez, Steve Kerr does not care about your pedigree. He does not care – what your reputation was coming in, where your rankings were, how high you can jump. He doesn't care about that. If you're not going to work hard when his best player, one of the best players that ever pick up a basketball, works hard, he's not going to play you. If he doesn't think that you take, don't take things seriously, like you think you're above going down to the G League, he won't play you. So this is not the situation where you can have that, cavalier attitude and you know his opportunities will come and go and this is another loaded team like from a talent perspective you're probably better than Dante DiVincenzo you probably have more talent than him but you know what you will not you will not jump him in the rotation if Steve Kerr doesn't like your attitude because Dante DiVincenzo is He's going to work. He knows it's kind of like Moses Moody, like you said, J.D. He knows he has to work to be in this league because he's not just dripping with talent, relatively speaking, like a Jonathan Kaminga. But you will not jump him in the rotation if you're not working. And then we'll have another year of people saying, why isn't Moses Moody playing? And Steve Kerr's not going to come out and say he don't work hard enough, but that's going to be the answer.
3: 888 uh, 957 He has the ability, talking about Kaminga, to impact games by doing the little things. And I think at times he's more focused on the big things. We'll keep this conversation rolling. Uh, Gene in Oakland, we'll get to you coming back here. We'll also reset uh, the comments from Stephen A. Smith because I do think they were telling Uh, not misaligned with some of the things that Jason and I both have heard ourselves. So we'll keep it rolling. One final hour straight ahead right here on 95.7 The Game.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.